Hi, this is Herb Kressel, and welcome to the April Radiology Podcast. Uh, this morning, uh, I'm joined by the authors of two provocative pieces appearing in the April uh, print edition. Uh, first, uh, I'll be speaking with uh, Dr. Nina Kapoor, who with her colleagues at the uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital uh, wrote an, art an article entitled Gender Differences in Academic Rank of Radiologists in U.S. Medical Schools. Uh, Dr. Kapoor is clinical instructor uh, in the Department of Radiology at Brigham's and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Welcome, Dr. Kapoor. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us. And also joining us is uh, Dr. Christine Glastonbury, Professor of Clinical Radiology in the Department of Radiology and Biomedical Imaging at UCSF. And Dr. Uh, Glastonbury and colleagues wrote a uh, provocative editorial on this article entitled, Gender Issues Persist in Academic Radiology Promotions. Welcome, Dr. Glastonbury. Thank you, Dr. Kressel. Thank you for the invitation to be here. Yes, thanks uh, for joining us. So let's get started. Uh, uh, Dr. Kapoor, uh, could you give us a little bit of the background? Uh, why did you and your colleagues decide to do this study? So we wanted to look at the differences in promotion between men and women to full professorship in radiology. And to do that, we had access to a unique database from Doximity that provided information on all academic radiologists in the U.S. in 2014. So we were able to look at various factors known to affect promotion and then uh, account for those factors and see if they affected promotion. Okay, and was there a particular reason that you and your colleagues decided to undertake this study at this point? Well, for me, I think um, uh, gender differences and promotion and salary and these types of issues are important to me. And so it's something I've been interested in for a while, and this was just a great opportunity to look at these in more detail. Great. Uh, uh, tell us about the Doximity database that you used. Uh, uh, can you tell us about it in general and particularly the form that you use it in? Sure. So Doximity is an online networking service for physicians, and it has information on registered members, um, and, but it also collects information on non-registered members. So it collaborates with various institutions, including uh, state um, uh, licensing boards, specialty societies. It also looks at the NPI registry and collects information on physician age, years since residency, gender. It also has information on the number of publications, uh, including first and last author publications, also NIH involvement and clinical trial participation. And then we supplemented this database with Medicare uh, revenue in 2013. So uh, to your knowledge, has this database been used in the past for studies of this sort? It has been used, uh, a similar database has been used by related research that's uh, looked at promotion and salary in terms of uh, all medical specialties and not specifically focusing on radiology. Okay. And do you have any idea how complete it is? How, how often is it updated? Is it accurate? Will people kind of look at it and say, no, that's not me. That was me five years ago. Right. So, uh, 
it contains information on all physicians through the various means that I described, uh, not just registered members. Of course, registered members can correct their profiles if needed. We were interested in this question, so we looked at about 200 physicians to manually see if this information was accurate or not. And some were about 80 or so were members and the rest were non-members. And the information in terms of publication count, NIH grant funding, that type of information was very accurate uh, when we looked manually. And Duximity is in a constant uh, process to update and maintain this database so it's ac as accurate as possible. Good. So uh, uh, how did you actually use the database? What actually did you do? And uh, can you please highlight your key findings? Sure. So we looked at uh, the various uh, pieces of information I described. So we looked at age, uh, gender, um, also the uh, clinical appointment if they were full professor, uh, associate professor, assistant professor, um, NIH funding, things like that that I uh, described. And basically found that uh, female radiologists were younger. They had fewer publications, both first and last author publications. They also had uh, less NIH funding than men. And they generated less Medicare billing than men. Um, but the Interest, uh, uh, one interesting finding is that once you account for all of those factors, and we did a multivariate adjustment, uh, the women are just as likely to be full professors as men once you account for those factors. And that is different from almost any other specialty in medicine. And so that is something we wanted to point out. So if you look at general surgery, uh, psychiatry, pediatrics, OB-GYN, they, there are differences in promotion between men and women, even after you account for factors known to affect promotion, and that doesn't exist in radiology. I see. Uh, that's kind of interesting. So uh, it kind of brings up the core question, uh, how good is the news? Is the glass half full or half empty? Uh, Dr. Kapoor, what did you and your colleagues think? This is uh, heartening, disheartening, or a little bit of both? I would say it's a little bit of both. I think that there's definitely room for improvement in radiology. I would say our work in terms of gender equality is definitely not done. We need to look at why women on average have less publications than men and what are the potential barriers to that and also barriers to achieving uh, this, uh, similar levels of NIH funding. But I think what is interesting and I think positive is that if you account for those factors, women and men are promoted at the same level um, in radiology, and that's not true of many other specialties. So we're unique, and that's something to be taken note of. Okay. Now, Dr. Glassenberry, uh, what is your view? Uh, your uh, uh, editorial is entitled, Gender Issues Persist. Uh, in academic radiology promotions, and I think uh, it certainly seems that way, but is the glass half full or half empty? That's a, such a good way to put it. And um, I think personally, I'm, I'm a glass half empty person anyway. But I think, I think this is such an important paper because I, I totally agree with Nina. This is great that when, it, when you have, you put uh, somebody with these productivity measures next to somebody with these productivity measures, it doesn't matter what their gender is, you're going to be promoted at the same rate. And I think that is good. I think rather than say, wow, we're so great, we should be saying what in the world is wrong with those other specialties that is the should be the absolute baseline that i mean and it's a pretty mediocre baseline at that i think the concern that um i had and my co-authors had 
is that this huge there is if you forget about that if, if the question is uh, sorry forget about the things you're adjusting for if you look at the unadjusted rates it's clear that women are not able to achieve the same academic standards as men and that is what we found so concerning and i agree it's great that that bias does not exist once you get to those same academic standards but if you're not able to achieve the academic standards then there's a big problem going on and our specialty is missing out mm -hmm. from not having women able to do what they're obviously skilled at doing they're just not given the same opportunities so uh, let's move to sort of uh how do we use this information and what actually do you think can be done to address some of these underlying disparities? Dr. Kapoor, have you and your colleagues given some thought to that or your personal experience as a uh, clinical instructor? You're hopefully looking to a, a long, uh, hopefully uh, fruitful career. Right. So what would be helpful to you? I think that there's, you know, different things that you can do. I think one thing is, you know, women in, uh, generally feel a difference in childcare and household responsibilities that's been published widely in the literature, and, and that's true for female physicians as well. And, uh, you know, how can we make our work environments more friendly to women who have families or don't have families, sort of balance their uh, outside of work goals with work. So is that meaning we need to have more flexible work environments, uh, more flexible work hours? I think that's something that each department should pursue if that's a possibility for them. And I think the other thing that cannot be understated is mentorship, both female and male mentorship, you know, to including young female faculty in papers and, and presentations, things like that, getting them involved, getting them excited early on, I think is what keeps people motivated that even when life hits a few bumps, you know, you can still stay dedicated to your career. I see. Dr. Glassenberry, what, 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 what works? <laughs> Great answer. Awesome. What, what does work? And why do, that's actually a really better way to look at it. What is it that people have that makes it easier to succeed? So when you look at women who have succeeded, you have to ask, why, did, why were they able to do it? And why didn't they give up? Or why didn't they go part-time or and there are a lot of things that we're trying to look at in our own department to understand that a lot better but I think the changes need to be in departments themselves in institutions our entire university and then really national and that's why I love that this paper was written and we have an opportunity to talk about this because we need to start really at the grassroots level and Nina brought up the first thing that I think comes to mind for most working women is childcare and managing household responsibilities. And that's never the first thing that comes up to mind when you ask any man about things that they see that might get in the way of their career. It just doesn't exist as the first thing that comes to mind. And for women, it is always the first thing because uh, that's our reality. So that's an interesting uh, commentary, uh, but uh, uh, under the question that occurs to me is should promotion criteria be altered to better address some of the social disparities? Dr. Kapoor, what's your thinking on this? Well, I think instead of necessarily being altered, I think they can be clarified. And I think that women should be encouraged to enter research tracks early and, and you know, when they can sort of uh, 
be and so they can be as productive as possible with the time that they have. But clarifying, you know, what is the promotional criteria in clinical tracks or educational tracks, and, and really making sure that they're achievable for people, uh, I think that would help as well. Great, Dr. Glassenberry, what's what's your thought? Well, should we alter the promotions criteria in some ways? So I think that's a Band-Aid approach. Oh, we'll do this. We'll make it easier for women to be promoted, which doesn't solve the actual baseline problem. And our problem is that women are not able, for many reasons, I think, to, to do what they're totally capable of doing. So one of the things that Nina just spoke about, which I think is 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 correct is talking about more flexible hours and when we talk about it in our um, editorial we talk about yes more flexible hours for men as well as women mm -hmm. and then with that changing the culture that we have of responsibility for taking care of children and taking children to the doctor and all those things that figure into how we deal with our day and why we make some of the decisions we do about our careers based on having children or not having children or limiting the number of children because the truth is that there's so much more work that women have to do outside of the home that even came up in, in the recent World Economic Forum in Davos. I mean, the, the number of hours per day that women do unpaid work, which is mm -hmm. home and childcare as compared to men, is startling. And it's really, it's just a reminder that we need to change this culture. So um, how, do we, how do we address this uh, from the perspective of uh, being and working in a radiology department. Uh, Dr. Gabor, any ideas? Well, I think each department should probably look at themselves and figure out, you know, what are the things that we can address? What, it, what can we offer flexible hours or work environments? Um, you know, talking and engaging female faculty on, on what, what are the issues that they see? Because probably every department is a little bit different. Um, and then I think it's, it's also about, like I said, going back to mentorship, you know, how can we mentor even medical students, residents in terms of how can you get a work-life balance? You know, how can you talk to your partner and maybe divide things up or set expectations? So it is less, you know, difficult to have all these responsibilities of home and childcare placed solely on the woman. I think it needs to be a, a multi-pronged approach and probably taken at least at the departmental level to figure out what are some grassroots uh, solutions to these problems. Great. Dr. Glastonbury, any further thoughts on this, what we should and can be doing? Absolutely, and Nina's right. You need to do it at it. You need to look at your own department and start working out what we're going to do within our own departments to change things. It needs to be part of the conversation. People need to be educated about unconscious bias, I and mean, it's extraordinary some of the things that people say and do. And when you start like really nutting down to the conversations that happen around women, sometimes it really is quite disturbing, and it really does set from the medical student level and the resident level, it puts people in, well, I'm gonna avoid this because there are no women who do this or this is how they talk about women in that department. Mm -hmm. So it is, it, it absolutely needs to start at the grassroots level, but at the same time, we need to be looking at the national level about who it is that we're inviting to speak at meetings, who it is we're inviting to be on committees, to stand up running seminars, because those people are the role models for the junior faculty. And so I think when we look at 
when we're starting meetings, the RSNA is certainly working very hard to really increase the gender diversity across their committees and across speakers at meetings. But I think this is really critical because those people standing up there are the role models. And I think that's how we can start to build it in. Good. Uh, getting back to the grassroots levels, uh, you both come from very prestigious departments. Uh, what has worked well in your departments? Nina? I think there are a lot of women in top positions in my department, in my section. Um, and I think in the, my res, so I was also a Brigham resident and, you know, I felt like it was pretty divided equally between the men and women. And so I think I was always surrounded by very um, productive women at an early age that made me feel like I can do it too. And I think that's why it's important, like we've been talking about, to just make sure women are well represented at all levels. It's inspirational and it keeps the next generation sort of motivated. Good. Dr. Glastonbury? So there's a few things that we're doing at the moment. I'm um, in charge of faculty mentoring um, at UCSF. And so this is something I'm very concerned about when I look at and talk to junior faculty about their careers and, and how we're moving forward. We have started a couple of years ago with Maureen Coey, who's uh, one of the few female interventional radiologists. We started a women in radiology. There are social get-togethers, which are funded by our chair who's also a co-author of our editorial. And uh, we get together and we just talk about our experiences and what it feels like. And it's, it sounds like a support group and, and maybe that's the best way to look at it, but it's really to try and make you feel that you're part of a bigger, something much bigger, you're not alone. Our residents are starting the same thing with the support of some of the female um, senior faculty um, having get-togethers. And we've just started for our medical students the same thing. So Dr. Emma Webb runs the medical student training for radiology, and she's just started women in uh, radiology interest groups um, to get people together again to expose them to senior women and, and share stories. You might find it interesting to know that uh, Dr. Emma Webb, uh, I uh, trained with her dad at UCSF, and I remember him uh, calling her through the uh, page system, uh, saying, uh, good night, sweet Emma. <laughs> it's wow. very nice to see uh, how wonderfully she's done uh, professionally. Oh, she's a phenomenal um, body radiologist, and she's done an incredible job uh, building up our, our medical student training program, Dr. Nager. It's, it's phenomenal now. And this is Great. one of the, the things that they're leading now is to try and get women more involved from the very beginning of medical student training. Good. Well, I want to thank you both for a very stimulating discussion. I think we can conclude that the glass is both half full and half empty. <laughs> That's cheating. <laughs> and uh, thanks very much for participating. Thank you so thank much. You, Dr. Kressel. Okay. Bye. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye-bye.